right, good morning, everybody. All right, so we are actually uh, kicking off a uh, brand new series uh, this month, and it is a relationship series. And if you saw on Instagram or Facebook, it's going to be called Known. And um, being known in the kingdom of God is going to be a very important thing, so I want you guys to keep that in mind all throughout this month. And so in relationships, you know, how many of you are in relationships? That's everybody, right? Yes. yes, yes. We are all in relationships, and we all know that sometimes in relationships, things can be quite difficult. Uh, but in high school, uh, you know, everyone's trying to sort of figure out who they are, right? And one of the ways that people try to figure out who they are is uh, by the activities that they do. And so in high school, you may have, like, the, the academics. They're really trying to get into good colleges and get good grades. Um, you may have the jocks. You have the popular people. You have ASB. You have student council. You have banned people. For me, in high school, uh, I was a theater nerd. Okay? So I, I spent a lot of my time in the theater program, doing plays, doing musicals. And my senior year high school musical uh, was Anything Goes by Cole Porter. I don't know if anyone's familiar with that. Um, but uh, in that uh, musical, um, I got one of the lead roles playing Lord Evelyn Oakley, who was British. And so I had to have a British accent all throughout the musical, which was incredible fun. Um, it was, yeah, a blast, basically the highlight of my high school career, uh, besides meeting Kathy, but yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But in that uh, musical, there is a song called Easy to Love, and it's this guy, and he's uh, singing to this girl that he loves, and the girl is actually engaged to my character, uh, but they are actually in love with each other because they've known each other a while, and she got engaged to me for, I don't even remember the reasons why, um, but he's singing to her, trying to woo her back, and she's resisting, and he's saying, you'd be so easy to love. And it's this nice, romantic, kind of flowery song, very idealistic. And, it, you know, it's a great song. Um, but then I start thinking about it, and it's like, but in reality, people are not always very easy to love, right? We've been kind of gotten this idea, especially in Western culture, that if you just find that one person you're going to have your happily ever after. And that's not really true, is it? Like, you can. Like, a lot of people have great chemistry here in this church. You, know, you can have great chemistry. You can have common interests. You can have a drive and a vision from God for your marriage. But life is life, and sometimes people are not very easy to love. And I want to be clear, we're not just talking about marriages uh, or romantic relationships. We're talking about friendships. We're talking about coworkers. We're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. Every single relationship can have conflict, and we're not all the time easy to love. I think about, like, you know, the Disney movie Cinderella, and obviously Cinderella's an older story too, but in the Disney version of Cinderella, you know, uh, the, the, the prince and Cinderella meet during this one night. They have this romantic dance of the ballroom, and then the, the clock strikes midnight, and she has to go home before everything disappears, all the magic disappears, and he searches everywhere for her the next day to find her and put that glass slipper on her shoe. They find each other, and they get married, and they dance, and everything's happy. And I'm like, wait a minute, you guys have met for like three hours. This is not a good basis for a relationship. Also, she talks to mice. And oh, by the way, you're a prince. You're going to have a kingdom to run after your dad dies? And like, you're going to have to learn about politics. You're going to have to learn about you know, like peasant uprisings. You have to worry about taxes and all these different things. Cinderella is going from peasanthood to being a princess and a queen. That's a really big transition. This is going to be a really rough marriage, I think. I don't think this happily ever after. I don't know. Maybe there's a Cinderella too where they address that. I don't know. Maybe. It was straight to DVD. I don't watch those. 
And okay, maybe we're not dealing with those kind of things, but for us, in our domestic life, you know, roommates, marriages, whatever else, we could be facing those questions of, you know, who does the dishes? Of where are we going to eat tonight? That causes conflict, we know. You know, all these different questions that we ask in our relationships, there's conflict, there's tensions, and those are real. Those are real. And how we deal with those relationships is very important. And a lot of times, we'll want to go in it our own way when God has something else for us. And that word that we received this morning, God first, the first love, that is what we need to focus on, the first love. Jesus is our first love. And Jesus is the first relationship that we need to cultivate and find intimacy in. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Mark chapter 12. Verses 28 through 34, and I apologize because um, I use the uh, New Revised Standard Version, and all of our notes are going to be in the uh, New American Standard Bible uh, because I forgot that we don't have that on our computer. It's not John T's fault. It's not, this, it's not his fault. It's my fault, okay? Let's follow along. It'll be pretty similar. So Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. One of the scribes came near and heard them, uh, this is Jesus and the Sadducees, talking, disputing with one another. And seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the first of all? Or some translations say, which commandment is the greatest of all? Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all heart and with all understanding, with all strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. Love God, love others as yourself. Love God, love others as yourself. I'm sure we've all heard this passage in some form or fashion, but this is, it makes it clear that if, you, if the two greatest commandments are to love God and love others, it's about relationships. It's all about relationships. With Jesus, being near to the kingdom of God means being in relationships. The kingdom of God is made up of relationships, and of course, in those we are called to love, to be close, to be in community, to have intimacy with God and with each other. Now, when we use this word intimacy, it can, you know, throw some other thoughts into our minds, so I want to be clear about what I want, mean by this word intimacy. The definition of intimacy is close familiarity or friendship. Close familiarity or friendship. And that's kind of a dull way of talking about intimacy. It's very technical, because I really believe that with Jesus, intimacy goes much deeper than just close friendship. There's something deeper that we are called to in intimacy. There's something raw and something honest, something open, something true, something pure about the intimacy in the kingdom. You see, deep down inside of us, there's all, in in each one of us, a desire to be known and to know others. It's part of who we are. We want someone to know our story. We want people to know what makes us tick, what upsets us, what we deeply value. In Genesis, Scripture tells us that we are made in the image of God. We've talked about this before, that, okay, we don't look like God. We don't know what He physically looks like, sure. But we have the ability in us to grow into the things of God, to grow into God's character, to understand His values and have those in our life. And in that, we reflect the image of God. And one of those big things in the image of God 
is being relational. One of God's innate characteristics is that He is a relational God. He's made up of the Trinity, the, Ho- the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And in those three persons in the Trinity, they have relationship in, 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 uh, in, the, in the Godhead. And I know that's a little bit confusing, but you think about it, we have a relationship with ourselves, right? We have a relationship with ourselves. I have an opinion of myself. I have an identity in myself. God is perfectly secure in His relationship with Himself. He is the Emmanuel, he is the, which is the God with us. He makes covenants with people. He poured out his life into the disciples. The Holy Spirit is in constant relationship with us. God is a relational God. And he made us to be the same way. Innately, in us, we need relationship. In the Garden of Eden, this is Genesis chapter 2, uh, verses 18 through 23, Adam is there alone and says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every animal in the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the cattle, to all the birds of the air, to all the animals of the field. But for the man, there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, which apparently all the men are sleeping this morning anyways according to Steve. <laughs> so, not that hard. But anyways, uh, so the Lord God caused a, caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And then he took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. So God saw that Adam was alone, and he said, it is not good. It's not good. And after a few failed experiments with the animals, God puts, gives Adam uh, Eve and gives him another human being. And again, we're not just talking about marriage relationships. We, it is not good for man to be alone. In general, we are made for relationships. And, and, and just to further that point, um, you know, you think about the friendships in the Bible. Okay? Yes, there's Adam and Eve in marriage, sure. But you have David and Jonathan. You have Paul and Timothy. Jesus and John. You have friendships in the Bible, too, that are deep and meaningful, and you can have those deep and fulfilling relationships. You can have intimacy and friendships as well, family as well. John thirteen thirty five says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus doesn't say, if you have love just for your spouse. Obviously, have love for your spouse, but it is for your brothers and sisters in Christ. That is how people will know that we are his disciples. You and I were made to be in relationships. It is in our spiritual DNA. We are relational beings. And yes, some of us are introverts. I am an introvert. I get my energy from being alone. And people take my energy when I am with you. And that's okay. I want to be with you. Okay? But, it, yeah, but I have to recharge uh, later on. I am a father of toddlers, so I very much need alone time. Uh, if any of you have toddlers. And uh, yeah, so some of us are introverts. We, we need alone time. And alone time is good. But... At some level, each of us need human interaction. We need relationship. God designed us for that. It is not good for man to be alone. See, deep down inside all of us, God, I think, has implanted us a longing, a soul that that thirsts for companionship. Our soul cries out with questions. Do I matter? Am I loved? Do I belong? Am I worthwhile to anyone? Does anybody understand my pain? Does anybody know my story? You, you know, you, you hear those people that say, you know, like, I just wanted you to listen. 
you know, there are times that Kathy will come home from work, and she's had a rough day, she's had, like, you know, patients that are just off the walls, she's had coworker issues, and all that kind of stuff, and, you know, everyone has those kind of issues, and I hear it, and immediately my mind goes into, I'm going to save you, I'm going to tell you what to do, I can fix this problem for you, and I'll give you a hundred solutions about what you should do, and this and this and that, and I'm your knight in shining armor, look at me, I'm going to win points, yay me! <laughs> and she's like, okay, that's great, but I just wanted you to hear me. I just needed to be listened to. I just wanted to be known. We are constantly on a quest to make ourselves known, to find people that will answer those questions, am I loved? Do I matter? But sometimes rather than following God's vision for relationships and finding our belonging, we seek out those things in other places that are unhealthy. I think that's very easy to do today, especially with social media. And I'm not here to knock social media because if you know me, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram. I have all those things. But there's a danger to them. Because what happens is that when we are on them so much, every time we make a post, okay, every time we post a picture, uh, an event, we post uh, a, a, a message, we post a meme, an article, it is usually something that is of value to us, something that is meaningful to us. And what we're doing is every time we make a post, we are inviting our Facebook family into our life. And we're saying, know me a little bit more, please. And what happens is, you know, someone may see it and then like, 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 do follow, all that kind of stuff. And what happens is that that can easily replace a deep and meaningful relationship. Because you get that little boost of confidence, like, ooh, someone liked that. Oh, that's great. I got 30 likes today. Oh, I got a new follower today. Someone wants to be a friend. Oh, that's great. And again, that's, that's okay. But if that becomes the basis of our relationships, if all of a sudden you make a post and, hey, no one saw it. I didn't get any likes today. And then you spiral down into depression because of that. That's a problem. Because that means that we're searching for that thing in, that we're looking for but we're finding it in just the shallow ways. And I'm not saying you can't have a deep conversation on Facebook. You certainly can. But if we're trying to look for it in those ways, it can warp our sense of expectations, and then we won't look for the actual deep relationships that God intended us for. Or maybe we're looking for it in all the wrong places, and we find a relationship that is nice, that is romantic, but then we feel like we need to take it to the next level when we're not actually ready for it. And we take it to a place of intimacy, I'm talking about sex, that is not designed for the relationship status that we're in. Sex outside of marriage. Not just out, not, I'm not talking about an affair, but maybe just sex before marriage. And to the world, they may just say, oh, it's just sex. It is an act. It is a physical act. Anyone can do it. But there's a truth that in this act... It can be wonderful in the right context. God designed it for something else. Because in that act, to become one physically, yes, but also emotionally, also spiritually. In the Bible, you, you often hear this phrase. Um, in Genesis chapter 3, for example, it says, Adam knew his wife. And that word knew is the Hebrew word yada. And this yada is often used in that sense of, okay, they made love. But also, it is just the general word of to know. And why is that so important? Because when you have sexual intercourse, you are knowing somebody at a deep level. You are presumably naked, uh, and in that way, you are vulnerable. You're saying, this is me. This is me, and I'm giving myself to you. I'm exposing my sacred places to you. Will you accept me? 
Will you accept me? There's something deep. There's a desire here. There's emotion. There's pleasure. There's joy wrapped up in this one act. And God designed that to be, to be in a place where you have commitment. That's why it's designed for marriage. Because in that marriage, the spouse can say, yes, I accept you. I accept your flaws. I accept your baggage. I accept everything about you. There's, there's, it's more than a physical act. It's a mental act. It's a spiritual act as well. All of that is being presented in that act. And that's why in marriage, when you have that commitment, you can say, this is a safe place for that because I accept you and we are firmly committed to each other. But outside of marriage, that commitment may not be there. We can say it is, maybe, but outside it may not be there. And then what happens when that relationship falls apart? And we suddenly say, no, no more. I reject you. And in that place, you were looking for some firm commitment, some place of intimacy. It's all of a sudden replaced by something that's rejection and it's confusion and it's heartache. There's a danger to that when we seek it in those places. And again, I'm not trying to say that to shame anybody because there are plenty of people who have done that. Absolutely. And there's no judgment in Christ. When you have Christ, there's no judgment on that. God asks us for something deeper, though, and he asks us to examine our lives in that. He wants us to seek intimacy in the places and in the ways that are appropriate and the way that he designed it. We are constantly searching for a place to belong. We are constantly searching for a place to be known. We even do this in our conflicts. Inevitably, in every relationship, there is conflict. If you are in a relationship with me, if, if you are my friend, I will someday let you down. I will. I promise you. I will someday let you down. Maybe I'm letting you down right now. I don't know. Um, someday I will, and we will get into conflict. And the problem is that when we have conflict, we can often deal with it in unhealthy ways. Maybe we start rumors and talk behind someone's back. Maybe we give someone the silent treatment. We, or maybe we go the opposite way and just flat out berate them. Or maybe we passive-aggressively throw those little daggers at each other. You know the ones. Like, oh, your son did this. Oh, I'm not mad. I thought you knew. Well, I'm sorry you feel that way. These little darts, you know, these little daggers. You're not bludgeoning someone over the head with them. You're not trying to just, you know, stab them or maim them. You're just trying to, you know, just twist the knife a little bit. Just burn them a little bit. You know, poke, a little prod, a little bit of pain. And why do we do that? Why do we do that? It was because we are in pain. Because I was hurt. Because I felt ashamed. I felt embarrassed by what you said, whatever it was. That's what we're really trying to communicate. But instead, we're saying, I am in pain, and I'm going to cause you pain because I want to make you feel my pain. Because I want to be known. I want you to know me. That's what we're really trying to communicate. But instead, we do all these things to hurt one another. And then they're hurt. And then they do the same thing, and then they hurt me, or they go hurt somebody else because they're in pain, and the cycle goes on and on and on, and all of a sudden, we've got a huge mess. Our relationships can be messy, and we are searching to be known, but in that quest, if we don't follow God's methods, we don't follow His ways, it can lead to huge pain, hurt, trauma, suffering. We often leave God out of the equation. And it, very ends up, and it often ends up hurting others or ourselves. God has a vision for relationships, and he asks us to participate in that vision. He designed us for relationships and intimacy, but if we don't do it his way, it's going to cause problems. Maybe we don't want to follow his ways because, okay, well, it's too many rules, it's too hard, it's too difficult. Or maybe what it is, 
is that we aren't quite secure in our relationship with Him yet. Maybe what it is is we don't fully trust Him. He has a way for us. And maybe our relationship with Him isn't there yet to say, okay, I can do it your way. Let's remember that the first and greatest commandment is love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And I believe that yes, absolutely, that is what we are here for, to love God, and He is to be our first love. But by loving Him, we receive His love back, and that makes all the difference. That makes all the difference because that's what we've been longing for. Proverbs 8, 17, God says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. You see, the first and primary place that we need intimacy, the first and primary place that we need to be known by is God. The most important intimate relationship we can have is Jesus. This morning, if you get one one thing from this morning, I believe God wants you to remind you and encourage you and reassure you that, yes, God wants to know you. You want to be known. He wants to know you. Last week, Jody talked about how we need to know God, and that is absolutely true. We have this innate desire to be present with Him, to know our Creator and Heavenly Father and Savior. Psalm 63, 1 through 11 reads, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land there is no, where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied with, as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. There's a desperation in this psalm. There's a powerful longing in this psalm, but there's also a sense of satisfaction, relief, fulfillment, intimacy with God. Being with God, knowing God, it's a privilege. It's an honor to know that we can be known and to know that we can know God. Maybe not fully understand, sure. Maybe not fully grasp, okay, but we can know God. What a privilege. And then the great truth is that the opposite comes true, is that when we know God, He knows us. He wants to know us. Jesus says in John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. The God of the universe, the Savior of the world, wants to know us. James 4, 8, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Now, that can, of course, be a little scary to know that the God of the universe wants to know us because we do have dark things in our life. We do have those things we struggle with in our life. Uh, Kathy and I have been uh, doing a little home improvement uh, in our house. We've realized that uh, one of our rooms was just dreadfully not welcoming, and that's where we had home group. Uh, One of the big problems was uh, we had no good lights in there. It's like a giant ceiling that's uh, slanted, and there's just one chandelier, and lamps, ugly lamps that I'd put in, and it just wasn't good. This is ugly yellow light that just wasn't very good. So we were like, okay, we're going we're gonna to do a little home improvement. We've got recessed lighting in there. And so Kathy came home from work after it was done, and she's like, oh, wow, it's bright. It's really, really bright. It's like, I guess we've been living in darkness, and once we have this new light, it's like, oh, I don't even like it anymore. It's like we're bats. And that's the thing. When 
we have darkness in our life, when we hide things in our heart. And then we're saying, okay, I, I want to be known. I want to be known. It can be a little scary to bring that light or bring that darkness into the light. You see, there's a contradiction. There's a battle in our own hearts. Because on one level, we desperately want to be known. Someone understand me. Someone love me. God, will you accept this part of me? Because we know that will give us a little bit of freedom. You know, get it off our chest. And on the other side, we are too scared to try, to let that darkness come to the light, to get that intimate, because we're afraid we might get rejected. In college, um, I had a friend. Uh, we were just sitting in the car one day, and um, he said, Brett, I have something that I really need to get off my chest, and I feel like God wants me to tell you this. I'm like, okay, sure, what is it? And he told me that he had been seeing a girl, and they had been having premarital sex. And he knew that's not what God designed was. And he said to me, do you think of me differently now? You know, there's a trepidation in his voice. There's a trembling. There's nervousness. Because I could say, oh, you're disgusting. Oh, that's terrible. You know better than that. Come on. I could reject him. I could say, you're not my friend anymore. Like, I, I, I can't be here with you if you're doing that. I could have said that. But I knew God had a different answer. He said, no, I don't think of you any different. You know what's going on, and you know what you need to do about it, sure. But you're still my friend. I still love you, and God still loves you. That's what we're hoping for. But we know that oftentimes we could face that rejection, and it is a little bit scary. Because when we are wanting to be known, it forces us to take a deep examination in our life. And when we're presenting it to the God of the universe, the holy, the loving, the pure, the wonderful God of the universe, that is scary. When Isaiah had the vision of him going into the throne room and he saw the, he saw the glory of God right there, he said, woe is me, woe is me, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. Isaiah the prophet said, I am a man of unclean lips and now I'm in the presence of God and I'm done, that's it, it's over for me. God's holiness is so great. It's just going to burn away that sin and me with it. And, of course, the cherubim came and, and, and purified his mouth, and he was able to stand in the presence of God. But that's us too. God does accept us. But when we take that examination in our life, I know what's in my heart. I'm talking me. I know what's in my heart. I know the darkness that lurks in there. I can hurt people. I know the things I've done in my past that I'm not proud of. Can I be loved? Am I worthwhile? We may start to think, no, I'm, I'm unlovable. How could God want to know those things and still love me? I'm weighing us down. We want to just we give them over to God. But we think, if I bring this to God, He may take these rocks and stone me. He has every right to. He created me. He is the ultimate judge. He could. Can I bring this to Him? We bring it. And we hold out one to God. And God doesn't take it and throw it at us. He says, okay, give it here. Give it here. I know you. I see you. I've seen your struggles. I've seen your pain. Let me take it and heal it. We're going to bury this one and give you new life. Amen. That's what God wants to do in us. That's what being known by God will do for us. Romans 5.8, but God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He wants to know those things. He does. And He wants us to know those things. The deeper we know God and the deeper we allow Him to penetrate into our life, 
the more we discover and know about ourselves. And knowing ourselves is important too. After all, we have to love our neighbor as ourselves, and that implies we need to love ourselves. He doesn't want us to know ourselves, though, that we are then um, defined by those negative things in our life. Instead, He wants us to acknowledge them, own them, and then surrender them to Him. To acknowledge that, yes, they are real. They did happen. That pain, those doubts, whatever is holding us back, it is real. But it's not who we are. Not anymore. Because that's not who we are. That's not who God designed us to be. And that's not who Jesus made us to be with the death and resurrection. He wants us to know ourselves so that we can own those things and surrender them to Him. And He will wash us clean and remind us that we are His. That we are, his, that we are made in the image of God. That's who we are. When we do that, we allow a part of ourselves to be known to God, and He heals it. And that grows our trust in Him. Because He didn't reject us. He didn't cast us out. Instead, He said, come to me. Come closer. And that allows us to cultivate our intimacy with Him. We want to be close to something like that, right? When a person does that for us, it's like, you're a person I can trust. That's a good thing. And God does that for us all the time. He doesn't reject us. And sure, He knew it all along. He's God. He's omniscient. He knows all things. But there's something different when we actually surrender to Him and allow ourselves to be known. It's different. That's what we've been searching for all our lives. We begin to truly know and see who we are because we become defined by what He sees in us. He doesn't see sinful. He doesn't see imperfect. He doesn't see unworthy. Unworthy. He says, instead, you are my beloved son. You are my cherished daughter. You are my precious child. 2 Timothy 2.19, nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. Again, nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are His. He knows us. He knows our thoughts, both holy and sinful. He knows our past past deeds, compassionate and selfish. He knows our hopes and dreams, both those of Him and those of our own flesh. And yet God does not turn us away. He knows us. Instead, He tells us that He wants to know us. And that's what we've been searching for our whole lives, to have an intimate relationship with Him. He wants to know you, broken you, sinful you, hidden you, and he wants to turn you into the image of God. He wants to know you and have an intimate relationship with you. And again, yes, it can be a little bit painful because we have to admit that, okay, I do struggle, but God wants to know all those things. And we may think to ourselves, "I, I, I should be strong enough. I should be strong enough. But whatever you are going through today, I don't know what it is. Whatever you are going through today, God wants to know it. If you're a single parent and you're struggling with your kids and you feel lonely, helpless, you feel overwhelmed, God wants to know you in that. If you're struggling with depression, mental illness, there's no shame in that. Plenty of people do. I have. God wants to know you in that. You have physical pain and you feel like, well, I should be able to overcome this, but it's tough. God wants to know you in that. Maybe you have a conflict with your kids. You're constantly feeling rejected by them, constantly feeling disconnected, and you're desperate. You feel hopeless. God wants to know you in that. Maybe you're struggling with addiction. You feel trapped. 
You feel like this endless cycle is just never going to end. I want it to end, but I keep going back to that thing. And you constantly feel defeated and defeated over and over and over. God wants to know you in that. And in those things, He wants to know you and heal you from those things. His healing comes when we allow ourselves to be known in those things. Not keeping it in the darkness, but letting it be surrendered to Him to be known by God. God wants to let you know that you are known in this life. Yes, you have those things that are maybe blocking that intimacy with Him, but He wants to clear those away and heal you of those things. Allow Him in. Allow yourself to be known by Him. There's knowing God, and there's also being known by God, and that changes everything. It absolutely changes everything in this life. Being known by God, we become who we really are, the image of God brought into the light. With that, we can become more secure in ourselves. That changes everything because it gives us that fulfillment we've been wanting. It's what we're designed for. It gives us that completeness, that togetherness that we've longed for. It changes how we see ourselves. We know our real self. We know the image of God's self. We know our true self. And we can relearn how to love ourselves. Because remember, we need to love ourselves. Because God loves us. We can be secure in who I am. Or I can be secure in who I am. Because I can be secure in who God is. And I can be secure in who God says I am. We want to be known, and God wants to know us. It changes everything. And when we've got this great truth in our heart, it changes how we then interact with others. Because all of a sudden... We see ourselves differently, we see God in a different light, and then we can see people in a different light. And we don't have to be caught up in those cycles of hurt and pain that we cause. We don't have to try to be known in unhealthy ways because we are secure in who God says we are. God needs to be our number one, our first love. And we're going to go into more details and more specifics about different kinds of relationships with people. But this morning... God wants to let you know that the first relationship is Him. He wants to know you. I'd love it if everyone could um, close their eyes for a second. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, I have those dark places in my life and I so desperately want to be known. I so desperately want to be known. And the message that God has for us this morning is yes, God wants to know you. Maybe people have failed you. Maybe your own spouse has failed you. Maybe your family has failed you. But God will not fail you. Those places in your life, those places in your life, allow yourself to be known. Let God in. You don't have to feel that shame anymore. You don't have to feel that guilt anymore. God wants to heal you of those things. God says, despite all that, I love you. I love you deeply. I love you deeply. I know that I've been there. I know that I've had struggles that way. And it's very easy for me to compartmentalize my life and, you know, shy it away from God, hide it, Hide it away and not let him in. This morning, God says to you, be open. Be known. We can know God, and he can know us. 
and it's what we've always, always wanted. I want to read this passage over us as sort of a benediction. This is Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt you over with loud singing. Read it one more time. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. God does not despise you. He created you. He loves you. Zephaniah says, he rejoices over you with gladness. His love is so great, greater than any of those things that we've struggled with. And my prayer for us this morning is that those things we'll be able to let go and surrender them to Jesus. May they be crucified with him and buried and forgotten. May they be forgiven. May they be healed. Whatever it is this morning that you have in your life, God wants it and he wants to know you and he wants you to surrender it. So God, I just ask, Lord, that your spirit would go deep into our hearts. That it would search those dark places and bring those things into the light. And God, just thank you. Thank you for being a God who wants to know us, who does not turn us away in shame, but instead accepts us with open arms, loving arms. And yes, you want for us life change. Yes, we have things we need to work on. But God, you're the God who helps us who says those things are forgiven. Now let's get up and walk again. We thank you, God, for your love. We thank you, God, for your grace. We thank you, God, that you are the God who knows us. We pray in your son's holy name. Amen. Hey, just what an awesome word, huh? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, please. Hey, just want to say this because Brett said, I mean, there was a lot said in there, but just that thing of being healed and being whole and just being right before God because God loves you. He sees you right where you are, and he's in the midst of just where you are, your thought life. I know there's been times in my own personal life I just wanted to cover myself up and just hide and just get, get in a room in a dark place and just, and, but the, the Lord sees you right where you are in the midst of all that. And so that, that's, such a, that's such a pleasure in knowing that. It just reminds me of that, that scripture out of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 through 13. And, and it just basically just talks about that God sees you to the point that we are exposed before him to, to the eyes of him who we give an account. Everything lays bare before him. Everything lays bare. Awesome. Great word, huh? I hope you guys took notes. Um, if not, don't forget that our sermons are online, so you can go to restorationla.org, check out the sermon page, and uh, revisit some of that.